Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Post-Military Podcast, where we share stories of veterans' transition out of the military and their advice to other service members based on their life experience. Whether you are still in service, a veteran, or just someone preparing to transition into a new chapter of your life, there is something here for you to learn. I've included timestamps in the description of the episode, so head down there to see if there are any topics that are of particular interest to you. Also, while you're poking around, subscribing to the channel or podcast on your favorite platform is always greatly appreciated. Anyway, thank you so much for being here today, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend. That I will support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. I just look back on that moment in my life with a lot of, because I had never done, I was not an outdoorsy kid. It was just something I did on a whim, like, I didn't do the Boy Scouts and I didn't do the Boy Scouts because I, my mom was like, you want to be in the Boy Scouts? I was like, do they sell Girl Scout cookies? And she goes, no. And I go, well, then why would I want it? I just wanted it in. I just needed access to the cookies faster. And then, then I was a ranger at a Boy Scout camp when I was in college. And I was like, oh man, that this was, this is sick. But then I realized I was seeing like, peak boy scouts at philmont this is like the bougiest of like places for people to be so but uh, yeah anyway welcome to the post-military podcast everybody <laughs> today i have on with me natasha swartley natasha is natasha is an incredibly vibrant personality which you will get to experience a lot of here in the next who knows, hour, two hours, we'll see how long it goes. But in addition to just being an all-around great human being, Natasha is an EMT, an avid outdoors woman, and also an ultra runner. And right now she is recording from her RV. You can see the RV next to her in the window. So if you're not on video, check it out. <laughs> and she has been kind enough to come on to the show today and talk to us about her transition out of the U.S. Navy and what life has been like for her since then. So Natasha, thank you so much for coming on and listen to me talk about why I wasn't in the Boy Scouts. So <laughs> very happy to have you on today. Oh my gosh, Billy, what an introduction. Like I'm blushing. <laughs> thank you so much. Just got away with the words. What can I say? It's just, it's like I've been retired two years and it's still phasing in like, oh, I am an EMT. Oh, I am an ultra right? runner. Yeah, it's true. I'm an outdoors woman. And I brushed my hair today. <laughs> so I was about to say, you look great. You look fantastic. So I was like, oh, she got dressed up for me for the show. It's so it's so I, sweet of her. I, I really did. appreciate and, that. And, and I see you post some folks that like you actually have like pictures and images. And I was like, oh, God, like they... I washed my hair today as long as I brushed it too. And I was like, <laughs> I need to look present. I need to look like a human today no. rather than like you... some, somebody who rolls around in the dirt. <laughs> you get to send me a picture for your thumbnail. So you can yeah. send me whatever you want. If you want to do like a dirt pick, let's go. Let's do dirt picks for the bum picks for the thumbnail. That'll be fantastic. But uh, <laughs> we, <Thumbnail. laughs> yeah, a bum Ooh. Oh, I a like bum a bum like nail it. sounds great. Okay. Well, <laughs> Yeah, we think we have to do a bum nail. That sounds just way too fun. So I agree with you, though. I've only been out. You've been out, I think, six months more than me. And a lot of the reason why I started growing my hair out is because 
I just needed something to, um, like I needed some kind of reminder in my day. Well, I needed, I needed, I grew my hair out for two reasons. One, I needed a reminder that I am actually out of the military. And two, I'm tired of going into social settings and people assuming that I'm the one that's in the military and not my wife, because I'm like, she's out there being a badass and a combat, like a combat medic and like a flight, like a air medical evacuation nurse. She deserves all the credit and people don't need to be thinking that we PCS'd out here for me. So I started growing my hair out. So hopefully people don't just assume, oh yeah, you're a guy, you're in the military. And I'm like, no, not anymore. So it's funny you mention it. And by the way, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And it's funny you mention it because it happened to me today. Uh, I have on my, so I have a pickup truck because I'm pretty rad, but on my license plate frame, it says U.S. Navy retired. And somebody had asked me like, oh, how long was your husband in? And I was like, one, I'm not married. And two, I was in for 20 years. And and this is not the first incident. I think our, our, I think folks are starting to be awakened that women do retire from the service. They're not near as many as the men, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that a bulk of the service is men. So numbers wise, it's a given fact. So, um, but I'm very proud when I say it, not arrogant proud, but I'm like, no, I served 20 years. I did. And it's an incredible accomplishment. It's huge. And I read a statistic and and it may have changed, but this was years ago. Most women don't serve beyond 10 years, um, mainly because they, they really want to focus on family life. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing. So I have an admiration for all directions that people choose to go. This was the path I chose and 20 years of honorable service and blowing shit up because I worked in aviation ordinance. So, um, you know, like I love it. Like, you know, like when I'm asked like, oh, well, what did you do? Did you like office stuff? I'm like, no, no, I blew shit up. (laughs) I love that. The, does Navy aviation ordinance take themselves like it, it sounds so air force culture, you, we don't have aviation ordinance cause it's all aviation ordinance. It's just called ammo in, in the air force. And they take themselves real seriously. Like they've got, I, for any of my ammo for any of my ammo guys and gals out there who are listening to this, I don't think there are very few AFSCs or MOSs that I've met out there that have more like esprit de corps than ammo people in the Air Force. So what's the ammo, what's the, what is the aviation ordinance culture like for, for the Navy? We are arrogant, narcissistic, egotistical. So you're just like the ammo people. Cool. That's good. (laughs) Ammo is the same across the military. It is. And in the Navy, we call it IOYAS. So it's aviation ordinance. And our slogan is IOYAS, which stands for if you ain't ordinance, you ain't shit. And I think the equivalent was IAYAS for the Air Force guys. Yep. If you ain't, um, you ain't shit. And there is, yeah. And there's legit healthy competition between the Air Force side and the Navy side, mainly because like when it comes to our ordies, we, we do it all. We have a jet and we are responsible for everything weapons wise on that jet. So we're trained to be able to haul the ordnance, load the ordnance, fix the weapons, uh, fix the systems, change out the computers, 
uh, work on the aircraft itself, you name it, cross train with other job ratings, like our, our fuel guys and so forth. Um, and when I worked on a couple air force bases and I was just, I was blown away because you had like guys that, that our whole job was to move skids. And I was like, oh yeah, like we've got it. And they're like, you can't touch that skid because you're not qualified to move a skid. I was like, we're qualified to do it all. Like <laughs> I was so confused. And so it, it it is a healthy competition, but it's an eye opener because we would have a team of five or six people that could do it all. We'd move the skid, load the bombs, arm the jet, plane captain it or crew chief it. We could do it all. And there's 30 people to our six from the Air Force side. That's crazy. And do you think it's because you guys are also trained to do, to work on carriers? So you're just inherently like, team like size restricted on teams like or okay that's really and also you have to load bombs on a freaking ship like that's yeah. wild yeah and everything is by hand everything is by hand so we would hand load um weapons up to about a thousand pounds roughly give or take by hand so it would be like six to eight of us underneath that weapon lifting it man lifting it when we got to the two thousand pound series or larger we just have a hand crank, like just beads of sweat because you're in the golf. Like a wheel jet, like a car jet kind of deal? Uh, like a hand crank. I don't even know how else to explain it. It had a boom. Like, yeah. It was a long stick with a cable in it. <laughs> and a handle. Sorry, my cat just attacked me. Oh, no, you're um, <laughs> And um, I'm just going to sit like she's, she's staring at me right now. <laughs> I've got my uh, I've got my dog underneath my bed underneath not my uh, desk right now so she's hanging out but she's a she's a sweet. <laughs> my heathen is just staring at me waiting for the next attack but yeah we would hand load everything like other service branches or even shore billet ordnance lo locales or if you will would have sats loaders which are just these like, machines these tractor things with an arm bar and lifts them. And I don't know how to, we don't have the space on a carrier. So yeah. So the team cohesion, the teamwork, the strength. Oh God. Like part of my thick skin comes from the fact that can't doesn't exist. Like that weapon has got to get on there. That jet has to take off and our mission needs to be met. So if you're falling apart, somebody else has got to make up for your lack. So that thick skin grew hard because in fairness, some people just are not as strong and that's okay. Work on it. <laughs> but it definitely, that, that service time, that job, the grit, um, and the discipline that, that I took from that job really radiates forward into where I'm at now. I believe it. I also think it's just really funny. It's really funny to imagine people on the most advanced aircraft carrier in existence that runs off of nuclear power. Mm -hmm. There's a literal nuclear reactor inside of the ship. And then also on the same two nuclear reactors, excuse me. And then also on that sh same ship, we have people deadlifting 1,000 pound bombs to put on to fighters because that's as good of a technical accomplishment. Like that's as high tech as we can get for loading the boom booms onto the planes, which is yeah. hilarious. So yeah. for you, 
I do want to run through your military career just so that people people understand what you do now, which thank you so much for kind of for laying that out because I just think that there's so many thing there's so many career fields that exist in the military that people just that are like they're obscure to military people, which means they they don't exist to people outside of the military. Like no one knows what they are. And so mm-hmm. I appreciate you laying out what you did, but talk us talk myself and all the listeners through like your history. When did you join and what did all of that, what did all of that look like? So we'll start. I'm from Emmaus, Pennsylvania. It's an hour north of Philly, hour south of New York City, give or take, right? Right by the Jersey border. So small town, suburb area, real quiet. And I graduated high school in June, 2001. And I was signed up and shipped off to boot camp on July 25th, 2001. Uh, so I was actually at the live gun range the day 9-11 attack. And of course, like the whole world changed. So at the time, I had no idea what I was doing and what was going to be expected of me because I went in at a peacetime and my decision for joining was because like, I didn't know what I wanted in my life and I don't come from a college background. All I knew is I wanted to get out of here and I wanted to see what the world had. So definitely chose the Navy for that. And so now I'm faced with something I've, nobody has honestly encountered. So graduate boot camp in the end of September, I get sent to Florida, Pensacola, Florida for my first initial training on aviation ordinance, where I learned the basics of my job. In December, 2001, I reported to my first command. It was PCU, which stands for pre-commissioned unit Ronald Reagan. She was an aircraft carrier still in the building phase. She had already been christened, but not commissioned. So the keel's laid, but she's still in construction. Cool couple facts about that ship. At the time, she was the largest aircraft carrier in construction. She was the newest to the fleet. She still is classified as a Nimitz class carrier. And she is the first carrier commissioned with women aboard. So I was, I, I'm proud to say. You were one I, of them. I was one of them. Women started serving on warships, roughly 1993 timeframe. And we're talking 2001. So 2004, she was commissioned. So the keys turned over to the U.S. Navy. And shortly thereafter, we set sail Oh, and by the way, she was also the first carrier commissioned while the president was, who's it named after was still alive. Um, Shortly thereafter, we set sail. We were doing a home port change, moved over to San Diego. And in that time passing, sadly, President Reagan had passed away. Mm -hmm. 2005, I transferred commands. I went to a helicopter command in Coronado Island where I deployed with the USS Nimitz. I was flown to Bahrain where I met up with the ship towards the end of their deployment. And it was my first experience of, I guess you can say like encounter, Mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't really see war, but I was engaged. Mm -hmm. Um, So my first experience really on the flight deck and in active operations, it was the hottest temperature I've ever experienced in my life. And I wish it upon nobody. Yes. In 2007, I took a recruiting billet back here in Pennsylvania. I recruited out of good old Pottsville, Pennsylvania, home of Yingling Brewery. I intended, I was actually going to separate from the Navy after my recruiting tour. And then we all know what happened in 2008. 
Yep. Uh, the recession hit and I still had nothing to fall back on. Mm. So no degree recession is hit. And I was like, dude, I'm really doing well with this Navy thing. So I took a billet to Virginia beach to VFA. So strike fighter squadron 131, where I worked on F 18 Hornets. I went through some major life changes at this point in my life as well. And I got to say career wise, like this is what really made me so successful in my career working mm. on these fighter jets. It really grew a thick skin. It was tough. It was grueling. It was gritty. And it was, it was just, it was hard. And in all that challenge, it was rewarding. Mm. So 2015, I finally report to a shore billet. First time in my real career that I'm not recruiting and I'm not deploying. Yeah. And I made chief in 2017. So for those that are not familiar with Navy rankings, chief is an E7. It's a huge ordeal. We go through basically like an eight week boot camp again to prior to our being accepted to the chief's mess and being pinned to chief. So it was, it was a huge deal for me in 2017. And then I was reported to my final duty station in late 2017, early 2018 to the USS Carl Vinson, where I managed the flight deck there. And some of the biggest achievements of my life occurred there. Not only did I make chief, but I, I had 70 amazing uh, men and women uh, sailors that were under my leadership, under my guideship uh, directly. We managed the flight deck. That was our soul, was the hangar bay and the flight deck. Um, and then I I actually, this is a funny story. Yeah. Somehow this chick who didn't do high school sports or anything, <laughs> let me make that very clear. My sports yeah. history before the Navy is non-existent, okay? Okay. And somehow, some way I found it in me that I have this skill and this passion for fitness, which translates to life. But I applied to be the command fitness leader, which is an officer's billet for the carrier, right? So oh, this wow. is, we're talking about 3000 people. Yeah. I'm like one being referred to the commanding officer and the executive mm -hmm. officer saying she's got what it takes. And also competing against other officers, basically telling them like, Hey guys, I got it. Don't, don't worry yeah. about it. I got this. <laughs> so, uh, I scored the billet. So in addition to managing my 70 sailors, I had the honor of directly managing an additional 25 sailors and overseeing the fitness program for 3000 people. What? Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I'm just really curious. What does a fitness program look like? at sea on an aircraft carrier. So I worked in conjunction with MWR, Morale, Welfare and Recreation, and we had a fit boss. So we had a civilian, I can't remember his name. He was phenomenal. But we had some other sailors that were also, they were, some were skilled, some had their own personal certifications or skills, talents in leading fitness programs or fitness, like group exercise, like a yoga or a cycling or just a, like a body exercise. And so at sea, cause we're all responsible for ourselves at the end, right? We are our own responsibility to ensure that we pass the fitness test because we have to hold ourselves accountable. So there are gyms on board the ship 
the hangar bays have plenty of room that you could do your own workout routine. There's gear that you can borrow. You have places that you could bring stuff. Like I like to do yoga. There's treadmills to run. There was other cardio machines, other weight machines, body weight exercises. So I was overall overseeing the progress or assisting folks and then guiding my sailors who were also teaching their independent departments and their independent divisions within the departments to help guide the sailors that needed just a little bit more effort. Because sometimes it's not just a physical thing. It's a mental thing, a mental block. So to get them to be encouraged, answer questions to the best of my ability, because I'm not a dietitian. I took a course, the Navy had me take a group fitness certification course, but I'm not a PT. I'm not a dietitian. I can only go off of some basic stuff. Eat simply. You're simple. Okay. Don't lessen how much you eat to a point where you're in a deficit all the time because then things happen and it actually counters it, but also don't overindulge and try to find that balance. But yeah, like just encouraging them, helping them with a workout routine and, and just, yeah, and I, I loved it. I loved it. Okay. I like that. I was, I don't know why, but I was envisioning like 3000 people doing like burpees on the, like no. on the like aircraft carrier deck or something. You're like got a megaphone, like up, down, no. up, no. down. <laughs> I would not you... be that encouraged. <laughs> um, okay. Test, like our fitness tests would take three weeks to get everybody through them three to four weeks to get where do you run through. is it like um, on a treadmill or do you literally sea, do we laps do treadmills. we were also authorized um bikes um and then the elliptical used to be but i think the row machine was coming out or did come out right around the time i retired so for the cardio option those are an option when we're ashore Swimming is optional. And then we have a track. I yeah. prefer to get people on the track. It's more mm -hmm. accurate than a treadmill. For sure. uh, but they can use a treadmill. And then, of course, push-ups and sit-ups. The planks started coming, phasing in as I retired. So That makes sense. You would be, yeah. you would have to be an insane person to choose to do the rowing machine for your physical, for your cardio-like option. Because that suck like the rower sucks like that is, <laughs> it is not fun i don't know like props to whoever decides to do that yeah, i don't even know what the specs are on it i still think running sucks sometimes and i'm a i'm an ultra dude, runner ultra. <laughs> yeah yeah I, except for you for me running i think running sucks when i hit like a quarter mile you're probably like 50 miles into your race and you're like this is uncomfortable so I think it's a little, it, there's levels to this discomfort thing, Natasha. So let's, let's cool it. <laughs> so it's all relative. You, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's, it is all relative. But so for you, so you finish out, you finish out the Carl Vinson, you've done this really cool stuff with the fitness program, with being, getting promoted to, to chief and everything else. And so did you know at that point? point when did you know it, you were done was it were you just i'm gonna make it to 20 years and that's it or what's the what was like the goal post for you i think right around the time that i was reporting to the vincent i was still on the fence of whether or not i was going to stay in beyond 20 
but it was after my 20, in the midst of my 2018 deployment, I was only home for two months out of 2018. And, and, and I was just, I knew, I knew I was done. I was exhausted and I had a fight to find the fun in it anymore. And I was just, I was ready to explore, um, sorry, trying to make sure I was ready to explore like my life. I went in at 18 right out of high school and I feel like I missed some growth stones, growth milestones, if you will. So I knew, I think like within that two to three year window that I was going to pull chalks at 20 years. That makes sense. And so what was it, what did that preparation process look like for you? Because up until this point, you said you had a couple of moments in your career, like in 2007, where you thought about getting out, but you're like, well, I have nothing better to do than this. So what did your preparation process look like? And how did your, why did your mindset, why did your mindset shift like that now? Um, one, I get a pension. Um, so I had money to fall back onto, right? I had a better idea of what it was that I wanted to do. I've always been intrigued by the medical field. So in the time that I was there, I was researching wilderness medicine, how to get wilderness EMT certifications. I didn't know really anything about it. I just knew I wanted to correlate the two of them. And the more I researched a little bit of that, the more I really started to realize that I need to get outside. And uh, there was a lot of policy changes and then COVID started to hit. And it really put a lot of things in perspective, the way things were going. And I'm not going to get into politics. I'm not going to get into all of it because I, I do honestly respect everyone's decisions on, on you know, on, and their opinions. But that was another driving force. I was like, I'm just ready to make my own decisions. So the pension was definitely a settling for me, knowing that I was going to at least get some money until I can figure my life out. Not to say I wasn't scared. I spent a lot of time in tears from fear of the unknown and going through the VA process was a challenge as well, because I didn't know, like I knew what I was going through and I knew the issues that I was dealing with and I hope I'm not alone, but we all like, I know I didn't have time to go see my doctor when every ailment hit when every ache and pain and here's some Motrin and carry on with your day. So I was still in that mindset of they're not going to listen to me, even though I'm retiring, like I need to get these things looked at. So I didn't know what I was going to end up looking at if I get a disability at all. So all I knew is I'm going to have a pension and this career field getting into EMT was my next best thing. And I lucked out, but it it didn't come without costs. Like I, I was afraid, honestly afraid. And that goes in line with the fact that I went, I went, I grew up here, went through high school, graduated high school, right into the Navy and without disrespecting it, but I was institutionalized by the service. It's not disrespect. It's just what it is. It's you become indoctrinated into the force because we need people to 
fall in line for it to be an effective fighting force. Like it's just what it is. And that's not a knock on the military. It's just like a fact of life. So I totally get that. Yeah. So it was definitely like on the way out the door was definitely a huge challenge and huge fear. And I was like, well, where am I going to live? Where do I want to go? Some folks, they want to stay there. They want to get jobs and they want to stay in the federal side of it, the DOD side of it. And I knew I, I just, I didn't want any part of it. I got offered jobs through Raytheon, other friends that I have, well, family, I consider them family, 40s that are in the field and they're doing great. They're well off. They wanted me to come in there and I would, it's just not my thing. And so I turned it down with respect because it, it's just, I would rather somebody who has a passion for the job and to be able to continue that. And it, that just wasn't for me. So after I retired, like I ended up going, <laughs> I didn't have a ceremony. COVID was in its peak. It was August of 21. It was just it, it, like, it was just, it was a wreck. However, I'm sorry. I just want to say that's, if no one's told you this, and I hope I'm not the first person to tell you this, but that's, it's really sad. And I'm sorry that is how you had to close out your career. That's, I wish you had gotten the chance to put your, put that to bed a little bit nicer. So I'm sorry that happened. It's okay. And thank you. I gotta say for the lack of the formality of a ceremony, the family I had on board the Vincent put together something I never expected, which really did bring some closure and still brings, still sheds a tear because it, I think the formalities are more the formal side, whereas like the closure is more about the love and support that you get from the family mm -hmm. that, that is with you. And mm -hmm. the day, the last day I was leaving the ship, there was a line going through the hangar bay, a tunnel going mm -hmm. through the hangar bay. And they saluted me as I exited and made my final uh, departure. It was absolutely incredible. And it was emotional and it was just full of love. And yeah. I couldn't ask for anything better. No formal ceremony could top that, to be honest with you. So I'm very lucky and very blessed to have such a wonderful group of people that I was able to, to lead. Amazing. Yeah. 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 That's so, really cool. Yeah. So first, I want to go back to something that you said, which is, you're definitely not alone. I know for a fact most people don't get seen for things that they should go get seen for. And honestly, I think that the – I don't want to make this sound too conspiratorial, but it's almost – the system's almost set up in a way where it encourages you not to do that because you're either A, you're too busy, or B, if you do go get seen, you get taken out of the fight. And where you just spoke about how you loved – it's all about the people and the people made it amazing for you on your way out. Like the people make every part of the military amazing and any person who's worth their salt to use a Navy term um, is, <laughs> is like, they're not going to make a decision that puts somebody else on the line. And so why would you go get seen if that means that someone else is going to get deployed over you, someone else is going to go into the line of fire over you. And then 
you get out, then it's all of a sudden it's like, I'm retiring. And it's like, you have six months to get seen for all this, like 20 years of bullshit. So good luck. And so yeah, Yeah. it's tough. I don't know. It's uh, you're certainly not alone in that regard. And I I know quite a few people who I've talked to personally, who I'm like, go get seen. And they're like, Mm -hmm. but what if, and I was like, no, go get seen. You need to get this on your record because you need like you, you deserve whatever that payment is going to be worth. And you need to make sure that you can get medical care later on in your life for these things. So yeah, I definitely understand the struggle. So for you, a lot of similar emotions that I felt when I was getting out tons of fear, tons of unknowns. I don't deal well in unknowns. It stresses Mm -hmm. me out to the max. I really hate having to hold multiple possibilities and contention at one time. I'm just like, I just need something to happen so that I know I need to know what my disability percentage is so I can make financial decisions based off that. I need to know where my wife's getting stationed so I can make jobs, like all of these things. And I was only in for six years. And so for you, you were experiencing all these things, but you're here now. How do you think you got through those moments of fear and uncertainty? Oh, I definitely didn't do it alone. Um, And I encourage anybody who's listening to this, you're not alone. Please reach out. The first few months after my, like almost the first six months-ish after my retirement, I stayed busy. I traveled a lot. I took up a side job. I worked in Alaska and then I went to school and I got my wilderness EMT certification through Knowles. But after that graduation in December of 21, I hit the lowest of my lows. I started dating somebody and I think I was just in a place where I was trying to fill a hole. I've been in a position in, in, in the Navy where I was needed. And now I don't hear from anybody. I, my cell phone is no longer a ball and chain. I'm not responsible for sailors getting in trouble or whatever. And I had nothing to do and it was toxic. I was not in a good place. And so I was here at home for a little bit, and then I made a decision. I was volunteering at the ambulance station I now work at, but I made a decision to move back here. Well, shortly after I moved back here to PA, um, I ended up in the hospital because I hit such a low depression. The real suicide thoughts were there, and it's really hard to admit that because I just spent the last 20 years sacrificing my life for so many and i am here in pennsylvania and there's not a lot of military here there's not a lot of folks to really relate with and i'm fresh out of the service and i don't know how to communicate with people i can't relate with anybody when i was told by someone that oh you're out of the service now you just have to forget that it all ever happened And that'll, that's just what you have to do. It's no longer a part of your life. And that really hurt because for more than I was alive, I, I was in the Navy. That's all I know. And they're my comrades. They're the people that I trusted with my life. And I'm out here and I feel vulnerable. I feel exposed. Um, and I don't feel safe anywhere. Even to this day, I'm more settled in now. 
But to this day, I, I don't go, I don't do well in enclosed public spaces. Um, I'm on guard. Um, and I have these conversations with some other brethren that I've met along the way here, but I definitely could not have gotten to where I'm at in this point, And I still have work to do, but without the help of other folks, as I was transitioning out, I'd call some of my friends who are still in and I didn't know what I was reaching for. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what I was missing. I didn't know what I wanted. I was lost. I didn't know who I was. I'm still discovering that. And then there's a vet center down, down near Philly. And I reached out to him and he sat me down for a little bit and he helped me get past this shoulda, coulda, woulda point that no matter what I decided to do, nothing's going to change. That I am here now and to practice presence. And, and it was not too long after I was in the hospital for just, I took myself there because I knew that if I would have stayed by myself any longer, it was not going to end well. Yeah. So. Okay. Can I ask you, okay. I'm going to ask yeah. you, I'm going to ask you a question um, that uh, is kind of, this is kind of intense, but I'm honestly really curious. Why didn't you follow through when you hit the bottom? What stopped you? What catches you and or caught you in that moment? I think about my nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. And I think about the, the lives I've touched. And I'm reminded of those lives. I've got little trinkets that sit around in my home that are just, they're small little things that people have given me. And I, I am very humbly reminded that it's okay to hit a bottom. Yeah. It is not okay to stay in the bottom. Mm. Um, I love that. Yeah. Like life is peaks and valleys mm -hmm. and we're going to summit a peak frequently in our lives. Mm -hmm. But in order to summit that peak, I have to start from somewhere. So mm. I was, I reached a bottom. I reached the start line and I had to face things that I hadn't faced before. And I think the realization came to me that um, this was a breakthrough for me. Yeah. And that ending it is not going to solve the problem. Mm. But facing it is going to strengthen me. Mm. And I'm going to reach a new summit. I love that. All right. Well, uh, you can, I'll tell you right up front, like from the day that I met you and we've talked and we've talked a couple of times at this point, like I would never, all the things you said about you not being comfortable and having issues, like whether communicating, connecting, you just seem just such a loving, lively person. And it, you've, if based off of what you're saying, based off of what you've just told me, you've come a very long way as it is. And I think that's amazing. And so you should be incredibly proud of the, of the progress that you made. And it's, it's always really, it's powerful for me to always have a guest on here who's able to talk through just these moments of 
powerful awareness that they've had in these moments of like sadness and loss. And it's inspirational. It's inspirational for me to be able to hear that. And um, it's uh, you're I mean, we're not done with the podcast, obviously. But your story <laughs> is very, it's powerful. It's powerful, right? It's already powerful. And I just want you to know that because it's um, I'm happy you're here. And that's uh, is really is really what I'm trying to say. Um, and so for you, you check yourself into the hospital and you go down to this veteran center. You start practicing being like present in the moment. I love calling out the not woulda, shoulda, coulda in use because I should myself a lot. I should myself in the foot constantly is what I say. <laughs> And it's, it's easy. It's easy to, it's easy to armchair quarterback yourself when hindsight's twenty twenty. And so what else did you start doing to start building up this resilience and this mindset that you have now of peaks, valleys, moving through it, becoming stronger? Like where did all of that start for you on your journey of development? Well, first of all, there is a book I do recommend for anybody who might be hitting some lows. It is called Peaks and Valleys. It's a hundred page short story and it's really adorable. And I do recommend it. It's just a nice little reality check that it's okay to hit bottom and that there's not one way to go up. So that, that you have the strength and the, that you have the strength to figure it out and the intuitiveness to figure out how to get to the next one. You just have to be present. So honestly, what started to help me drive out of that hole, I ran, I used to run. So I started running besides what the Navy mandated me to do, which oh, by the way, I hated because they're like, Oh yeah, you're going to run a mile and a half. And I'm like, Oh, literally oh, like, just like anybody else. Um, so in 2008, I started, I ran my first 5k. Remember I went into the Navy in 2001. So something sparked a, a fire up my ass and I ran my first half marathon in 2010 and my first marathon in 2014. I swore I would never run another marathon again. Um, and here you I are. Did not hold. <laughs> it was so miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fair. Most, most marathons, first timers are pretty rough, right? It was a beautiful course, highly beautiful course. And I encourage anybody, if you're going to challenge, excuse you, challenge yourself, run a marathon. It'll change your life. So I ran my first ultra in 2019. That was a 50 mile course. And, but after I retired or, well, because the whole world was in shambles between 2020 and 2022, uh, my running took a, a deplete. So I knew that one, if I got back to running, I knew that I would start to feel better, right? There's a lot of endorphins that come out of it, toxins that are released through sweat, you name it and just whatever. Two, the... What was I going to say? So if I got back to running, that would help. But two, it's, I need goals. Like I have to, I am a goal getter. It doesn't mean I'm setting, like I had to find somebody and my coach, Aaron, shout out Aaron Stacy with Primal Run Coaching. 
he has been a godsend with me and he helped me through some really tough emotional spots, mainly as a coach, because what he does, he writes my plans and then I'll hit lows. Like right now I'm in a doubt phase because I have an event coming up in a couple weeks and I'm starting to feel everything creep in. And there were times like I'd call him up just bawling, like, like, (laughs) but we started from scratch. So that building phase relates back to that peaks and valleys that I'm not going to summit that peak unless I hit some spots in between. So, or some folks who might've gone through some 12 step programs, I call them baby steps. So I'm not going to just jump right in to another 50 mile course. Cause I know it's going to one deplete my confidence level or what's left of it at this point. So we started small, we started building from base and it built me this inner strength. Like every little run is a new achievement. Plus it's trail running. So I'm finding a lot of post veteran programs that are starting taking veterans outside and I'm encouraging anybody. You don't have to do ultras. You don't have to run fast. Trust me, I don't run fast. There's hiking involved and grumbling and crying and all sorts of other weird things. But running trails saved my life. There is a active presence that you need to maintain. (laughs) Otherwise you will eat rock. Yes. Like, and rocks don't taste good. Okay. Nor do they not feel good. But the blood, if you're not goraphobic, like (laughs) the blood is kind of fun. But um, running trails really taught me how to maintain presence. It brought discipline back into my life. It brought routine. It brought regiment. But it also opened my soul. If you see some trail runners, a lot of times they're quirky. Because if you're left alone for hours on the trails, God knows what conversations you have with the trees. Um And, uh, you know, and like the bar is low, right? There's no expectations out there, but you know, the biggest thing that I truly love about the trail family is the family. These, I just worked at the Tahoe 200 and the Bigfoot 200 for destination trail. And I've, I missed this so much. And it was the camaraderie, the cohesion, the team, the family, even though this is a very individual sport, as a trail runner, you rely on some of these folks to help you through some tough moments. You rely on the aid stations to help get food in your system or the medics to force feed you, even though you're vomiting. And it goes back to what I've missed when I was in the Navy, somebody holding me accountable somebody being there to say you can do it or quit being a pussy like fuck whatever's running through your brain right now don't give it life and to and the discipline to stay on course that moment that that moment when you just want to fucking quit and you're frustrated everything hurts and you're pushing our umpty squat and you've still got miles to go and you're just like, what the fuck am I doing here? And, and you're wondering how many times you peed. Those are real things. But these are real things we faced 
in our branches of service, right? In our jobs. When was the last time I peed? How much water did I drink? Did I eat today? Why is Taylor so-and-so doing this right now? So all those things, that honest to God, getting deeper and deeper into ultra running, not only has really projected me in a very forward and, and amazing motion, saved my life. It truly saved my life. These folks just, I'm passionate for these runners, not just as a EMT, because I do love all my patients and I wish them all the very best. But when you meet these runners and I've been truly honored to work on some of these runners, these athletes, oh my God, like I, I geeked out meeting some of them, but it has nothing to do with like their status quo it has everything to do with them achieving a goal. And I selfishly am able to fulfill that hole of being needed. And I, I really feel like, because I not only run the trails, but I volunteer and work at trail races. I give back to these family because they too, they are, they need that assistance and they can't achieve that goal without somebody being there to assist them to achieve it. So it, it's, it's a beautiful culture. I think that you found a lot of things that I think that all veterans need to succeed in their military transition, which is a community of people to give back to goals, which allows you to build up momentum and initiative. And then also you have the self-awareness to know that you need those things in the first place yeah. and to go actually find them. And I think that so many the sad tragedy is so many veterans get out of the military and then they just realize they just think, Oh, I guess I'm sad now forever. And they don't know how to fix it. They don't know what they need to go pursue to get help. And then it just is, they're just in a bad spot. And so yeah. I love listening to your story because it's just, it, it highlights all of those things that I think are just so unbelievably important for everyone to have in their life to, to be successful. And I just, yeah, I just love it. I love it so much. I would never run 50 miles, but I'm happy for you and for everyone else. And I'm going to add on to, if yeah. I may. Please. Uh, I encourage, because th this wasn't just, oh, I, oh, oh, she discovered trail running. Oh, she just went out and started doing these things. There was a backstory too. I'm in counseling. Yeah. And I encourage everybody to go through counseling. You have to get it off your chest. You have to process these. And my counselor, she, epic woman, she took me through some EMDR sessions, which if you have access to, your therapist has access to, I definitely recommend counseling. There is no shame in it. What you go through in some of these processes, and it doesn't matter what degree level you might think it is. Oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. If it's affecting you, it's mm -hmm. affecting you. And yep. you don't deserve to go through that sorrow. You deserve to be loved and feel whole. So get the, I, and I encourage anybody who's going through some of these transitional moments or some of these sad moments, just speak. I think that, yeah, I'm in therapy as well. And I can't, I would like to believe that I'm in a pretty good spot in my life right now. And I still think that going to therapy once a week is a crucial aspect to my mental health and just who I am as a person at this point. And I would 100% echo what you just said, that it's worth every second of your time to go do that. One question that I wanted to 
ask you is have you ever heard of the ultra marathon race that i think happens in tennessee uh the bark the barclays the barclays marathons (laughs) oh my gosh i'm glad we're i'm glad we're recording i watched that documentary on it which uh, i can't remember what it's called right now shoot this is i don't want to type it i don't want to google it but for anyone out there who's listening there is a race called the Barclays Marathons. It's a it's plural for a reason, and there is a doc about it. Go watch it. It's the wildest thing that I've ever seen in my life, and the people who do it are insane. Would you ever consider doing trying to apply for that? That's a really good question, Miss <laughs> Goal Oriented Person. <laughs> and I know, wait, I know how to use a compass too and a topo map. Exactly. Um, so you could actually do it. There's possibility. I don't know. What an honor it would be to try and challenge the course. I don't know the stats. I don't know if a female has finished. And if there is, please, I apologize for my misinformation. So if there has been a female, I apologize for not knowing if she who she is. But it is a tough, tough course. And the history behind it is phenomenal because it's on former prison grounds in the mountains of Tennessee. That's um, so cool. Yeah. And it's this weekend and I'm so stoked to follow it. UTMB just happened this past week. What's UTMB? So, the Ultra Trail Mont Blanc. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's an intense course. Um, Courtney, the goat, she just, uh, she just finished first again. She set a record. She did not beat her time from last year, but she did the triple crown, the hard rock. I forget the races, but anyways, she set the triple crown. I think it was hard rock Leadville in this one. She's phenomenal. And Jim Walmsey took first place, first male American finisher to, to complete this course in the Swiss Alps, uh, took first place overall. Fantastic course. It's gorgeous. Uh, yeah and uh, yeah coming up is the moab 240 oh my god oh (laughs) (laughs) sounds terrible i encourage them to check out barkley it is it's it's not what you would think it is not some fanciful marked course you can't even have any digital media, like nothing, no, no GPS watch on you, no phones, no cameras can go out there. It's tough. It's going back. Read the history on it. It's a phenomenal event. And Laz puts on, uh, he's a dick and I love it. So to answer your question, I would love the honor to attempt to do this. So I want to first get through my first hundred mile of finish. <laughs> that's that's fair. From what it looks like, and this is Wikipedia, so I might be wrong. I don't believe that a woman has ever finished the Barclays Marathons. Right. La- this year, a woman became the f- second woman to finish the fourth loop, but no one's ever, okay. never, no woman's ever finished five. Oh so, my goodness. If you decide to do it, call me and I'll be your race crew for it. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. I'll... I would love it. <laughs> I'll do that I in a heartbeat. That'd be tight. Yeah. So you just let me know. 
This, oh, this is the video evidence of me telling you that. So, oh, yeah. so if that ever happens, we'll I'll be there. I'm gonna need so. some thick skin folks out there because listen, my best I'll friend, throw... I've thrown a sandwich at her. <laughs> so <laughs> listen, I'll just throw I'll just throw goo packs at you, and I'll be like, hurry up, let's yeah, go. Just whip me with a stick. I'm sure that'll get me going. <laughs> I'll just have a paintball gun and I'll start shooting you. Oh like, yeah, get that'll out of here. get me going. Like get the fuck out of my course. Get out of my crew tent. <laughs> I'll just have tear gas and I'll gas out the camper if you stay in there too long. Really? Really? You're going to go like, to that extreme? I mean, listen, I'm here to motivate the runners on my team to succeed and that's I'll do whatever. It's going to be, that's gross. Uh, if you get out of the, if you get out of the RV fast enough, it won't be a problem. If we have an <laughs> RV there, we're going, that's too Gucci. <laughs> no, we're. No expenses spared. It's going to be great. It's going to be phenomenal. It's on it's my bucket list now. Yeah, it's on my oh, bucket list now, too. Yeah, because I want to get shot at with a paintball gun. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'll make sure I bring it. It'll be awesome. That uh, will make me go-go. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up. Bop, 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 bop. Ah! I'm leaving. <laughs> Off to the next book page. Uh, yeah, yeah, seriously. Oh man, that would be awesome. I would love to do that. So you oh know, my just, God, I would love to it's up do to you. It. It's up to you. Just let me know. Yeah, but, I'm the one who's going to be suffering in the fucking exactly. Room. Yeah, yeah. You I'll know? be fine. I'll be yeah, like making burgers or some shit like, like that. Hey, like, you want one? Yeah, you're doing great. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> great job. I can't see you. <laughs> Proud of you. <laughs> Oh, I'll just man. be here when you get back. <laughs> Welcome to ultra yeah. running. <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah, don't worry. I'm not moving. We just. I'm gonna just take a nap <laughs> in a hammock or something. I don't take know. a nap. Go for yeah. a bike ride. Yeah, just see the sights. I don't know. Yeah, yeah get drunk. <laughs> oh, I love I it. I love it. Oh, it cracks me this, up. I might well, have to cruise somebody. <laughs> we can. We'll just crew the same person. I don't know, but. <laughs> Something, something that I was, that I'm really interested in for you in asking you is when you were figuring out what you wanted to do next in your life, you decided that you wanted to go into medicine, you wanted to be an EMT. How did you make that decision? Especially like, how did you make that decision? Then also, how did you maintain that confidence? Because I know if you're a, if you're an ordinance, if you're an ordinance gal, I know Lockheed or somebody probably tried to throw a bag of money at you to get you to go do that. And so I think that, and I'm, I know I am at very least partially guilty of this. Like I, I went for the job that paid me, like I went for like a check and I don't know if that was the right choice for me. I'm still trying to figure that out, but the podcast is certainly part of my exploration of that. So for you, how did you do what everyone says that you should do, which is you pick your values and your passions over the paycheck? I, fantastic, you ask. Early in my years, when I first went into the Navy, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to put bombs together. Of course, I was very intimidated by the whole thing because I've never touched a gun in my life. So I was like, oh, I'm going to put bombs together. What am I doing? So I really, it, and it took some time, but I knew I wanted to work in medicine when I was younger and I wanted to actually cross rate over to a hospital corpsman. But at the time in my younger years, I, in the Navy, like 
they weren't, they didn't have the quota. They were trying to push for more men to come into corpsman rating because they were sending them out with the Marines. Then once I reached a certain rank level, it was just no cross rating just because I was senior. So I was like, okay, so I just put it all off. So after I retired, I was like, I really love, and I had a channel within myself to figure out the things that I do love. I love adrenaline. I fought to stay on the flight deck and work the flight deck because I do love adrenaline. I love the ever-changing atmosphere and not knowing what's coming next. And then I just, when I could, I would actually go to work with, do some OJT with our medical staff in my off hours, or if I had a pause on the flight deck, I'd go into our flight deck medical and just ask questions, get some training, you name it. So I really saw it when I was younger. I just had to put it on the back burner. The other thing I noticed within myself is just how I am with people. I noticed that I have a passion for trying to help people or what some might call being a people pleaser. So I I wanted to channel that in a healthy direction, still working on that because there there are some aspects of my life where it's just doesn't work, but I really wanted to channel that in a healthy direction. And so I put those pieces together and realized that, okay, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love the outdoors and I love to help people. I'm not really grossed out, although I will tell you, I hate feet and I hate vomit. But lo and behold, I've worked on more feet and dealt with more vomit in my life in the last two years. <laughs> and most recently, a ton of feet. That's wild. Working. Yeah. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, running Yeah, running is a very foot-based activity. So, hmm. Well, look at you tackling your demons. Proud of you. <laughs> oh, they're tackling. All right. And, and just sidebar, the folks at Destination Trail, for all the listeners, you can find this. They call me Thor, T-H-O-R, because uh-huh. I'm the goddess of thunder and feet. The athletes were seeking me and we had a great medical crew. But when they would come into the aid stations, they'd see I was there. Their face was light up. Thor! Thor! So much so <laughs> that the Bigfoot racers created a fan page on Facebook of me. So, and I just <laughs> want to remind everybody that Thor loves you and Thor hates feet. but i will fix them so you can finish your race and that was a passion of mine thank you thank you for your sacrifice it's it's sometimes very entertaining i believe it you can see some of the good times had on the uh destination trail pages instagram and so on and i'm not on social media so i i don't know what's being aired on there but what I'm sent. Well, I'll make sure to link their, I'll make sure to link their socials down in the description of this episode. So people can go check out you fixing feet. Yes. Yes. But (laughs) yeah, so that's, that's what channeled me forward. Not so much the feet thing or vomit, but uh, my love of, of people and doing my best to help them. And I I don't, I think there's like a a, a hero perspective in me. I, I, if you will, just the passion to try and, and get somebody through their pain. And I will listen to folks. And I think that's what really draws me to like working in trail races or most recently I, I am filling out an application to work as a wilderness medic on the front lines of wildfires. And I have a passion for just being there for them because I know from a personal level what it feels like to not feel like you have somebody to listen to you 
or to take care of you or want to be there for you in your time of need to feel alone. So I really try to make each and every one of my patients the most important person in that moment and give them what I feel they deserve, that attention, that affection, that care. When even if it's a little bit mean, it's because I want the best for them. And so then when that, so when, so you have all those things and is it just that those things are more important to you than money or how did you then when like when Northrop or whoever backs up the money truck and your friends are like, we'll get you a job for $300,000 or whatever it's going to be. How do you in that moment overcome the greed or just like that? Like, have you just never been a money motivated person or what was the, what kind of was, what did that look like for you in your brain space? I honestly, I'm not a money motivated person. Um, and there's a backstory to it, which I won't get into, but it's just, I want to live. I want to live. That doesn't mean that I don't want the money because it would, <laughs> that money would be able to get me to do the things that I really love doing, like buying new running shoes and running dumb races like Barclays or UTMB. And it might be able to pay my coach every month. Um, <laughs> you know? but it's not about the money. It's really not. It's about fulfilling the passion because at the end of the day, all I got is today. And I want to go out of this world knowing that I gave myself every opportunity to fulfill my dreams. And to all that that are money driven and you want the money, go for it. For, for those that are sitting on the fence wondering, well, well what am I going to do? Well, what do you like? What do you love? What do you feel good at? What do you feel best at? What's your passion? And because at the end of the day, yeah, I live in a fifth wheel camper, but I have experiences to talk about because like my couch really doesn't matter how much I spent on the couch. It's still going to be sat on and destroyed. The comfort of my mattress will fade away. I'm going to end up getting a new one. So I don't need things. I live for experiences. So the money I'm not spending on a big fancy house or property taxes, because <laughs> living in a camper, there's none of those, but the money I'm not spending on things is going to experiences. So I'm not, you can throw $300,000 at me and offer me a job, but if you're going to take the time away from me and ask me to work a nine to five, that's, that's my drive is the freedom to be able to go on adventures and to truly live. Because for the last 20 years, I have been under the government's thumb, being told where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there. And oh, by the way, if I want to go out of a 360 mile radius, I've got to ask God and country and God help you if you want to travel overseas. Yeah. To so, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somewhere where your security clearance won't let you go. So yeah. Exactly. So I'm just, it's, it would be great. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just not my thing. I, Which I think I really is a very mature way of thinking about it, to be quite mm -hmm. honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, I appreciate you saying that because it's something that I probably need to hear more myself. So I, I love your perspective on it. And I think that's, I think that's amazing. 
And so for people who are interested in getting, they listen to this and they go, man, I want to start like having experiences and adventures. I would say that the outdoors is a intimidating thing for a lot of people. And so in, in Natasha's opinion, with your experiences, how do you think someone should start getting comfortable with having those adventures outside and getting maybe not necessarily with ultras or just running, but just outside? What do you think is, in your opinion, what should someone start looking into to start building up that passion? Oh my gosh, I want people to come outside, but please be smart about it, right? <laughs> uh, for those that are not experienced, just first and foremost, water. Mm. Always, always mm -hmm. have a bottle of water on you and start small, right? You don't need to go on multi-day hikes. You don't need to do miles upon miles. Check out your local state parks. You don't have to go to a national park to explore the beauties. America is fucking gorgeous yes um, and it's big it's huge <laughs> it's big it's yeah. huge i feel very blessed to say that i've been to all 50 states and there's still just so much to explore but start small go to your local state park go to your local little park go for a walk if you see a tree and you're not familiar with it get to know the tree it sounds very hippie like but look at the leaf look it up touch the bark touch the pine needle don't touch the thorns. Okay. They hurt. They, they go owie. Um, don't touch the snakes. There's a reason why they're called nope ropes, because if you're not familiar with the type of snake, it'll touch you. Okay. Leave animals where they are. Okay. Don't touch animals. Okay. Especially the big ones. All right. But getting familiar with it, always have water. Always, always have water and be familiar. Check the weather. All right. That can be an intimidating factor. Oh, it's going to be hot today. It's okay. It's okay. If you go outside for 30 minutes, I guarantee you it's going to brighten your day, but be mindful of times and the peak times of the day, like when it's hot, now we're getting into fall, but, um, early morning sunrise walks are phenomenal. Late evening sunset walks are phenomenal. Um, but if you have only the midday, just be prepared for warmer weather um, or sun exposure. So do your sunscreens, have your water. If you have a pet, all right. If you walk a dog, make sure you clean up after the dogs and take that to the trash, leave no trace behind. But again, like I encourage you now, if you want to start taking bigger steps and you're on travel, like I encourage you check out other state parks or historical places. I feel very privileged to live on the East coast where there is a <coughs> lot of so many oh my yeah. god just the whole we're i'm in the keystone state like the first 13 are right here but if you're on travel go to local state parks ask the locals where they recommend you to go if you're going to national parks be prepared for other tourists and be respectful they're not don't worry about what they're doing tattle on them if they're doing something bad that's what park rangers are there for if you're trying something like whitewater rafting or kayaking or paddleboarding, you've never done it. I recommend going with a group, uh, or somebody who's experienced 
whitewater rafting, there's group packages that you're going to go and there's going to be guides on every raft. So you're not going to be alone and they're experienced. And I definitely recommend trying it out. Um, you can also look at, oh, shout out UVA. It's Ultimate Veteran Adventures. Um, they sponsor outdoor activities and yeah, highly recommend brothers and sisters to go check them out because then you can meet with other, other vets and do it as a group, but go, if you're gonna go solo, let somebody know where you're going and when you'll be back. Most of us have phones on us nowadays. You can track your whereabouts if you care to, but most importantly, just take a deep breath. I think the safest place on earth is outside in the trails, in the wilderness, because the animals, quite frankly, want nothing to do with us, whether we want to believe it or not. They really don't want anything to do with us. But as someone else had put it towards me, and 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 I quote this from Louis Escobar, um, we are uninvited guests in Mother Nature. So please pay her the utmost respect uh, for being this uninvited guest, but truly enjoy and immerse yourself. Touch every leaf, touch the bark, touch the ground, smell the fresh air. There's something so truly radiating that brings peace within you when you are engaging all five senses in one environment away from the stressors of our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, that's a great that's great advice and if you're listening to this that you're not going to get a better hit list of things to think about when you get out and the only thing that i'll add on to that is there's just a truly ludicrous amount of things you could do outdoors and so if ultra marathons and trail running isn't for you there's there's a thousand other options that exist for you to get into so take some time do some research Find a group that does something you're interested in. Go check it out and see if you like it. And for me, I've really, I've settled on, I love backpacking. I love bow hunting. I love mount, I love rock climbing because I did mountaineering when I was in college. And so those are my things. Other, I know other people who love downhill mountain biking. I don't think I would ever do that. I have an electric mountain bike, but I use it for, it's a, it's like a long haul, like hunting bike. It's not a, it's not like a. It's a, it's not for downhill for sure, but it's, so there's just a lot of things you can get into. And so don't be discouraged just because one thing that you try doesn't work out for you. And that's analogous to life. Don't just think that because one thing didn't work out, everything's not going to work out. It's just, it's just one thing in a long line of things that you can try. So I love it. Beautifully said, Billy. Oh, it's not nearly <laughs> as beautiful as what you said. The last thing that I, the last thing I want to ask you is what for you is your, what advice would you give? You've given a lot of advice that people can glean from your story, but if you had to give like some overarching piece of advice to individuals who are preparing for their transition, what would it be? A couple of things. Um, don't be scared of the VA, but when you go to do your disability stuff, go through a VSO. Okay. Period. End of story. Go through a VSO. And I, I encourage you to challenge that if you did not get your first, if you got a disability rating and you feel it deserves better, challenge it, reapply. The government changes, the policies change, the VA changes, everything changes. 
reapply, renegotiate, and fight for better. The only thing they can say is what you already got, right? So go for it again. Two, seek help. Reach out to your friends, build that network, and be reminded that the fear you are feeling, and, and repeat this as often as you want, the fear you are feeling is real and it is okay. Because what you're experiencing is something you haven't gone through yet. And if you weren't scared, to me that tells you you're, you don't care. But the fear you are feeling is real, it is natural, and it is normal and it is okay. And, and you're not alone. So reach out. There are other folks, groups, networks that are out there. I mentioned UVA, Ultimate Veteran Adventures. Wounded Warriors, another one, if you're in that category. There's another veterans program that assists with uh, getting veterans outside. I, I can't think of the name of it right now, but then you can talk to VFWs who have VSOs. You can talk to other folks that if you're in the retirement realm or just separating who have also separated, we are all somehow interconnected. It doesn't matter what branch. Uh, reach out. There are vet centers, literally called vet centers, that have counselors in there that will assist in your transitional counseling. And then there's the hotlines that they've come up with, Military One Source has hotlines. The VA has hotlines. Please reach out. So, and just, again, that fear of this transition is normal and it is real and it is okay. Second or third, trust the process, right? It's a huge change. The adaptation from going from an institutionalized regimed, if you will, lifestyle to this gray matter lifestyle is really challenging. Folks on this side, like they show up to work late and don't, they, they like nothing happens. It's weird, but that's the lifestyle. And as hard as it is to adapt with it, take a deep breath, uh, center yourself. You're no longer in charge of those people and that's okay. Let the boss handle it. You are allowed to sit back and relax now and give yourself that permission to do so. And then finally, for those that have families, cherish this moment from here forth. You've spent a lot of time dedicating your life, your soul, your time, your passion to God and country. And your families have been there to support you all along the way. Now it is your turn and time to start dedicating back to the family that has been there for you this whole time. And they deserve that time. Most importantly, you deserve that time. You've given so much to so many. Take a deep breath, sit back, relax, hold your kids' hands, kiss them on the forehead, say thank you to your significant other, your parents, whomever that may be. Appreciate them for everything that they've been there for you with and say the thank yous that they have earned in support of you and your endeavors and for all the sacrifices you have made. You've done great. You've done amazing things. 
And please don't ever forget that you made and set a path for another person to follow. And that person is successful because of you. Man, man, I'm juiced up now. That was sick. (laughs) I'm not even going to publish the podcast. I'm just going to montage that speech with some like intense music in the background. And that's the episode, baby. That was awesome. Shoot. I love it. I told you I'm passionate about people. I love it. And oh, man. Okay. Wow. That was fantastic. You I don't know if you practiced that, but that was sick. Thank you for all of the advice. That was incredible. Before we go, is there anything else that you wanted to cover? I know you looks like you have notes, so I just want to make sure that you got everything that you wanted to say off your chest. These are my notes. You can't. Do you write it on your hands? There's nothing. There's nothing. Oh, okay. I speak from the heart. Okay. Um, so everything you heard was just like straight from the heart. I love it. Straight That's amazing. Raw, real. Uh, Powerful. And my cat attacked me. Um, that was the rawest and the realest of the moments. <laughs> just to end it with reminding ourselves today, I had a rough day today. I was just in my doubts. They're creeping in. It's just, it's a real thing. And shit, I might even be PMSing. I have to look at my schedule. <laughs> I don't even know. But <laughs> um, sometimes we have to be reminded of those little things that I am strong, I am worthy, and I am loved. Yeah. And so I want to shout out my coach, Aaron Stacy. He has been phenomenal in getting me to where I'm at. I'm approaching my second attempt of a hundred miler. I'm going to fucking finish this. Yeah, you are. Any listeners, if you're up in New Ipswich, yeah, New Hampshire, Douglas State Forest, Massachusetts, along the Mid-State Trail, and you want to come cheer me on or crew me, reach out. Okay. I could totally use somebody to grill me while I choose to endure this next journey. When's when's the race? October 7th. I tow the line in New Ipswich, New Hampshire. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. And I definitely want to shout out to my counselor, Julie. She's been phenomenal. The VA who has 100% I have the best clinic here. They have gotten me through so much shit and gotten me to the best doctors to help me through my ailments, me running and running is what keeps me sane to all my fellow brothers and sisters out there. I send you all my love, stay with it, stay engaged and stay here. Okay. To my EMT brethren and all my little firefighter friends, we're out there still crushing it. So I have a love and a passion for giving back to my community and and giving service. And for those of us that are in the athletic field, we're just, it doesn't matter. Go sleeves. Okay. Go sleeves. I'm an ambassador for them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This episode brought to you by Go Sleeves. Check out Natasha's profile for her promo code. There is a promo code, all right? I know there is. 15% off with my promo code, okay? Natasha Swartley. Go to Ghost Linked in the bio. Yes. But yes, big shout outs to so many people and my family and my friends. Mm. To all the service members, my little sailors, my turdlets, as I call them. Um, (laughs) I love you all. I just, I am who I am because of all of them. So many thanks and much love. I love it. I love it so much. 
Natasha, thank you so much for coming on today. It was an absolute pleasure to get to hear your story. You speak with such passion and it's just really amazing to get to hear how, where you've gone, where you're going, and so many people will benefit from this. And I really do appreciate you taking the time to be so vulnerable on air with, and it's been an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you. I'm super, super excited to one day crew you when you run the Barclays Marathon. It's going to be great. And for everyone else who is out there, thank you so much for making it to the end of the episode. We love and appreciate your support. You're, you guys are amazing. And we, this is, you're the reasons why, why Natasha comes on here and talks and why I take the time to put these episodes out. So if you're new here, welcome to the end. If you're a fan of the content, liking, subscribing, sharing with who needs it is the best thing you can do to help support the channel. If you ever need anything, feel free to reach out to Natasha or myself. We're always here to help. And yeah, that's it. And so we will catch you on the next episode of the post-military podcast. I forgot Peace. to say thanks to Tyler what? Smoker for linking us. <laughs> oh yeah. Thanks Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. I appreciate it. You're the best. <laughs> catch you later. Peace.